Hello and welcome to another MLEX podcast. I'm Sam Wilkin, Brussels News Editor, and today we're going to talk about the Siemens-Alstom merger. It's the biggest merger being reviewed by the European Commission at the moment. Both big train companies that make some of the most iconic trains in Europe, including the Eurostar trains and the TGV in France. It's run into a lot of controversy in Europe and there's talk that the merger could be blocked by the European Commission. Here to discuss are Nicholas Hurst and Natalie McNellis, who have been covering the deal closely from Brussels. Hi, Nicholas and Natalie. Hi. Hi, Sam. Um, Natalie, start us off. Tell us a bit more about this deal and why it's so controversial. The deal involves combining the two biggest uh, rail companies in Europe, and they have decades. I mean, they've been here since the get-go, and all of the of the rail infrastructure has been installed with them uh, in mind or involved. And so they own so much of what they call the installed base. And so for the two of them to merge is something that competitors and customers are worried about because they say, well, if those two aren't competing with each other anymore, where what's going to be, what's it going to be like for us? And how, how much do they own in terms of of breadth. It's more than just trains, isn't it? What other assets do they have? Well, they own the tracks, uh, for example, and the, all of the uh, wayside equipment that signals to the train, you know, whether it has to stop or go, uh, whether it has to uh, switch or not. And so it's, it's basically a whole lot of infrastructure that's necessary in order for any other company to be able to get into the market. Yeah. And how, just how dominant are they in the market? What sort of market shares are we talking between the two of them? I mean, I've heard market shares of a combined market share of 80 percent in uh, in some markets. Nicholas has spoken a lot to the national rail infrastructure managers, and their stance on this is that in certain markets, it would be nearing total control. Well, and obviously, normally under competition rules, that it wouldn't be allowed to acquire 80 to 100 percent of a market. So, so Nicholas, how are they going to justify this? Well, I think it's it's maybe even worse in this situation because. If you own the infrastructure or if you own the technology that underpins the infrastructure, uh, the thinking is that may also give you an advantage when you're trying to sell trains to the country that uses that infrastructure. So if you've made the uh, signaling equipment and so on that runs on tracks in Belgium and you're selling trains to the Belgians, they may prefer to take your trains because they know that the signaling will will work with your They know it's all compatible, there's not going to be any issues down the line. Exactly. The the companies, however, have a big narrative uh, to justify this merger, which is that they are facing intense competition from the Chinese railway uh, manufacturer, CRRC, at the international level. So China has allowed its uh, rail, its train companies and its maker of infrastructures to merge into this huge behemoth in recent years which is now competing with Siemens and Alstom for, to supply trains and equipment in markets like the US, in Africa. And Siemens and Alstom have said that the only way that they can, they can deal with this in onslaught from China is, to, is to, 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 to get a lot more scale so that they can also they can compete. Now, yeah, and that feeds into this idea of European champions that we've heard of, or or rail bus, you know, echoing Airbus, which is somewhere where a European champion has been created to compete with Boeing. There's very little competition uh, in the you know the the manufacture of airframes in Europe now. Right. So, does this argument have have legs? So that's at the international level. 
Uh, and they say that the Chinese are coming into the European market soon. And just as they've struggled to compete with the Chinese internationally, they also struggle to meet, compete with them in Europe. Does the argument have legs? Well, the CRC has won tenders internationally, but so have Siemens and Alstom. And certainly at the moment, the Chinese are not really present in, in Europe. The idea of European champions is one that I think a lot of people understand intuitively, and certainly some politicians like very much. The deal has been championed very strongly by the French and also by the German governments. So it's one that people like. Do these companies need to become a so-called European champion to survive? That's not, not so clear at all. And Natalie, um, going beyond the, the narrative of European champions, I understand that Siemens and Alstom have offered concessions, remedies to the European Commission to try to, to assuage its antitrust concern. Um, we broke the news about uh, these remedies a couple of weeks ago, so just give us some details of what's in them. Well, the Commission's concerns seem to have boiled down really to two big uh, categories. I mean, we talk about rolling stock, and when you say rolling stock, that's trains and uh, metro cars and trams, locomotives. And in rolling stock, there's many different products, but apparently the Commission's concerns have boiled down to the very high-speed trains, and those are the trains that can go more than 250 uh, kilometers per hour. And, you know, Alstom has its technology, which is TGV, their prize uh, possession, their crown jewel, and Siemens has its technology, too. The two of them are very strong in this very high-speed segment. And the thought is that that's too big of an overlap. And there's going to have to be one of the two is going to have to give up their prized possession. They've offered, they've offered something, but they haven't offered what competitors say is really the full kind of structural divestment that would really work. They haven't offered to divest fully their very high-speed train technology. They have offered um, significant things. I think that we could say what they've offered is significant, but on the other hand, they're holding back some very um, uh, important technology. For example, just to explain, um, Siemens is offering its its past generation of very high-speed technology. It's not offering its state-of-the-art. They're keeping that for themselves and just offering a license for five years for that. So the question is, is that enough? Is that enough for anybody to, why would any uh, competitor invest in a technology, you know, the state of the art? Why would they invest in the old technology? Is that going to help them to compete on the market? Um, the other side of the concessions that they're offering is on signaling. You know, we were talking about the, um, the onboard units and the wayside signaling, the things that keep the trains from colliding. They've offered a, an extensive package of concessions on signaling as well, but the competitors, the customers say it's just not enough. What they've offered is a, a sort of a, a mix mash of, of licenses uh, coupled with the back licenses, with carve-outs where they've said, you know, we'll, we'll offer you this, but we want to keep this one plum contract for ourselves, so we're not going to offer that. So competitors and customers are saying it's just not enough. And what's been the reaction among, um, among antitrust officials, both at the European Commission and, and in national regulators? Well, I think the European Commission, they haven't publicly come out and said how they feel um, about the remedy offer. They made very critical statements about the deal, but then the remedy offer came in, and we don't have a reaction from the Commission on whether or not that was sufficient. But what we do have 
is we have Vestaire making statements just yesterday about national champ about European champions and saying that that's not a reason to let a merger go through that would harm European competition. And she, although she didn't mention Siemens Olsen by name, she seems to be keeping the pressure up, saying we're not going to let a deal go through that's going to harm European competition. And another thing that's interesting and that we haven't seen before is we had four national competition authorities come out uh, and then say they were against the deal publicly. And so these are relatively negative stances by the competition authorities about the deal. Yeah, it seems that the authorities concerned um, aren't being swayed by this argument to, to create a European champion um, to, you know, to combat Chinese competition. Um, Nicholas, where, where do we stand now? What's next? Do you, do you think the companies will need to offer more um, to make the deal palatable in a purely competition sense? That's the million-dollar question, and the clock is ticking down to the deadline for the Commission to issue its, um, its decision, which is February 18th. But in reality, the Commission has to put in a whole load of uh, steps, has to take a whole load of steps before then, which means that in the next few days, the Commission's got to make up its mind about whether it really is satisfied with what's on, on the table. The added complication is that at this stage procedures, the companies cannot revise majorly what they've, what they've offered. They can only improve. So what you have at the moment is crunch talks between the parties and the Commission with a lot of pressure from national governments. The French government weighed in over the weekend saying that any decision to block the merger would be a, politi- would be a big political mistake on behalf of the Commission. It's a very unusual intervention from a national government in, in a merger review. And everyone's really piling in at the last minute in the hope that either a compromise can be found between the Commission and the parties, or some will be hoping on the company's side, in the French government, in the German government, that maybe the Commission will just back down a little bit from this, uh, from its, uh, the hardline position set out in its objections to, to the deal. Yeah, and very briefly, last word, when can we expect to hear more? What's the next big, you know, the next big event that we can look out for on the horizon? The Commission's final decision is set for February 18th and one would imagine that the news would start to filter out a week or, or two before that at the latest. Okay, so we really are at the final stages here and it is, you know, the final decision is, is, really, is really upon us now. It's a massive scrum. The parties are lobbying hard, competitors are, uh, are pressuring the Commission to, to block it, the French government's piling in, and really these days, in the next, in the next few days, everything will, will come to a head. And I think the other thing what we might see is if, we, if, things, if push really comes to shove and it looks as if the deal is going to be, is going to be prohibited, then we might see the, the parties uh, withdraw it. So, you know, these days are really crunch days. Right now we're going to see, I, would, I agree with uh, Nick that it's a question of these few days that come are going to determine whether or not they've given enough and whether or not the commission is willing to go any further. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they withdrew the deal in theory, they could refile it later with a, with a broader package of concessions if, if they chose to do that. And uh, perhaps under a, a new commissioner. 
Perhaps under a new commissioner, of course, Margareta Vestaya's term ends this year. Natalie and Nicholas, thank you very much. Um, I'm Sam Wilkin, Brussels News Editor. You've been listening to an MLEX podcast. Um, please do subscribe on your preferred platform if you want to hear more from our reporters around the world. Bye for now.